be able to worship with you this morning, to sing, to pray, to come and confess and repent and be assured of the forgiveness through Christ, and to come around his word together, to hear from him of what he has called us to, of what we are resting in this morning. Uh, We're continuing in our series of John, uh, and I want to first read from John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This verse that John wrote is the focus of this whole gospel. Everything that we've been looking at from verses 1 all the way to right now is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by by believing in him we may find life in his name. And so I pray that as we continue on in the Gospel of John, that that verse will kind of be on our minds and on our hearts as we focus in on who Jesus is and what he calls us to, that we would believe in him and find life in him. This morning we're talking about abiding in Christ and coming to a better understanding of what that means to abide. A, a good way to kind of think about it is, is resting and enduring in it. I used to run cross-country when I was younger, uh, and if any of you have done cross-country before, you know that it is all about endurance. It's about keeping a pace. It's about keep, keeping on, keep going, hitting that next mark, and continuing to run. Uh, and as much as I enjoyed it, I also hated it because... Enduring is difficult. Enduring is hard. And when your body says your legs don't want to move anymore and you're huffing and puffing to get breath so you can take one more step, it's hard to keep going. And I'm sure all of us have had different types of endurance tests in our life. I know one summer I went to go work in St. Catharines at Youth for Christ and in my head, and from what I had read, um, we have to, you have to raise your own salary for that uh, as a nonprofit organization. And in my head, I remember reading that I, I had to raise about 2000 and then the, uh, there'd be other people that would be matching that to help pay for my summer. Um, when I actually got there, though, I realized that that wasn't the case, that how I read it, I think, was wrong, or how it was worded was weird, but it ended up I had to raise about 6000 not 2000 And I remember the first day that I got there, I was living with a couple who had opened up their house for me to live in. And I remember just sitting on my bed being like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to raise three times the amount that I would planned on going in with? But I also remember thinking, Matt, you just have to trust that God has brought you here for his purpose and his reason and endure and keep going. And there was hardships. There was a lot of difficulty of trying to figure out how this is going to happen. There was writing notes and sending letters to people, lots of prayer uh, and work in also on top of the work of just doing what I was called to, which is helping with this, with this youth center. But I look back on it now, and it's amazing to see that as I rest and as I endure, as I abided in God and what he's called me to, to just simply obey and to trust him, that he worked some amazing things. And I even ended up raising more than I needed for that summer. But if I had just 
left, if I just said, you know what, I'm going to give up, I want to go home, which I wanted to do, I really did, I wouldn't have seen the amazing faithfulness and provision of our God. How he provides, how he continues to sustain, and how he helps us to endure. And it's through that endurance, it's through that abiding, even when suffering and persecution comes, even when hardship comes, that we truly see our deep need for him. That it's nothing that we do, but what he has done and accomplished for us on the cross. And so as we jump into John 15, Jesus has called his disciples to not be troubled. Moving into this reality of him dying on the cross and leaving them. But that it was good and that it was going to produce joy. But that they would face hatred from the world because the world hated him. That they would suffer for Jesus. That there was going to be hardship and that they needed to endure. And to endure, they needed to abide in him. So Jesus takes time to teach and point them to himself. The life-giving vine that they are to abide in. And it's a call for us as well to abide in Christ. So let me read from John 15, and we'll take some time to pray as we come before our amazing God. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. May we stand in awe of you, and God, as we leave from here, may we be in awe of our amazing God as we spend time in your word and in prayer and in worship of you. God, of your holiness, of your majesty, and your power as we read from your word. Your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger and passion for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding by your spirit that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to you and who you are, how it points us to Christ and to rest in him. And God, increase our love for you and for one another. Lord, help us to apply this passage to our lives today. That we'd be challenged, that we'd be changed, that we'd endure and continue to seek and serve you. Walking in your spirit, that we'd be obedient followers to Christ. Lord, help me preach your word with boldness and gentleness. God, take me out of the way, that I'd not be a distraction, but God, that I would be a conduit of your word. That you'd be centered, that you'd be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people to yourself. God, we are so thankful that we can gather today to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's turn to John 15. We'll be reading from chapters 1 to 17. And the word of God says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> so Jesus is used, he uses this another parable, this another metaphor, calling himself the true vine. It is his last of his I am statements in the Gospel of John. And he refers to himself as the true vine. The word true is important here. In Isaiah 5, 1-7, Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, we're called to represent him here on earth. To reflect and show what God is like. It's depicted as a vine. However, this vine did not produce grapes, but wild grapes. And in the end was destroyed, for no justice or righteousness was found amidst Israel and Judah. Again, this same image is depicted in Ezekiel 15, verses 1-8. to Jerusalem is referred to as a useless vine, good only to be burned by fire, which that image is reflective of what Jesus is talking about here. By calling himself the true vine, Jesus is the one who truly and faithfully represents God to us. He brings God's word and truth and will ultimately bring salvation and restoration to God's chosen people, not just Jews but Gentiles as well. Through his sacrificial death on the cross and through his resurrection, he gives new life and restoration to those who come to him in faith. He is bringing about the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the new and better Adam, the better king, the better vine that offers true life to the world and represents God to us, shows us who he is, for he is God. So Jesus is the vine in this metaphor, and the Father is the vine dresser. Another word like that is gardener. He removes dead branches that bear no fruit and prunes the good ones that do bear fruit, that they might bear more fruit. So Jesus provides life and means to which the branches can bear fruit. It's this deep and close union and connection. It's this relationship that God's followers have with him. There are branches, though, that do not produce fruit, for they're not truly in the vine, they're not truly resting in Christ, which the Father takes away. So these branches in this metaphor, they're representing those who are truly in Christ and those who are not, even though they might look like.
they are. Those who are abiding in Christ and those who don't. So Jesus says those that abide in Christ, they bear fruit, and the Father prunes those branches. Another word for that is like trimming. This is a common thing with plants, the pruning process, and it's used for many reasons. I'm not a huge plant guy. I don't do a lot of gardening. Um, I'm not gifted in that way at all. I actually have a succulent, which is a plant that grows in the desert, so it should do fine. It's dying right now, so... This is not my area of expertise at all, which is why I'm, I'm up here preaching and not working on the gardens outside. So that's about my extent of my gardening career is just doing, doing that kind of stuff, is killing plants. So I had to do some research on this. I had to look up, why, why do we prune? What's the purpose of pruning plants? What does it do? Pruning is used to direct the growth of plants, to shape them, in the way the gardener wants them to. It helps with root management so that less bad branches are getting the energy and the good branches that are growing will get the good, right amount of energy and nutrients needed. For fruit-bearing plants, it helps improve the overall quality of the fruit as it increases the light that penetrates the plant. I'm sure some of you are making connections already through this understanding of pruning. The fruit-bearing branches that the Father prunes, He cuts away the dead branches in us. He cuts away that sinful nature and thought in our, our lives, the sinful habits that we have. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's greed, maybe it's anger. He works on us, He cuts us, He shapes us. The process is not always the nicest, though. To cut away can hurt. It can be painful sometimes. It's tiring, it's long, it's grueling. But God is a master gardener, and he knows what we need, and he knows how to shape us and guide us to be like him, to be his true disciples. In his loving and in his care, it's not a chore, but a joy that he finds in shaping us to be more like him. He knows how each plant responds to various cuts. He's patient and gentle. He is deliberate in each cut that it would receive the water and nutrients needed, that it would open us up to have Christ's light penetrate us. That we would grow in sanctification, that we would grow in Christ's likeness. This process may be difficult, but it's needed, and it's by God's grace in our life that he does prune us, that he disciplines us, and it's through his love that drives him to do so. We see that in Hebrews 12, verses 3 to 7, and verse 11. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then jumping to verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so we see this metaphor playing out. Those who are resting and abiding in Christ will bear fruit, and the Father prunes and shapes and grows them. And those who are not truly resting are thrown away, wither and burned. This pruning is that we would grow in Christ's likeness and bear more fruit as we abide in Jesus. But we have to be resting in Jesus. And so in verse 3, Jesus says to the disciples, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus has been teaching and speaking to his disciples and pointing them to himself. He's saying that they are truly resting in him. Jesus, the word of God that we see in verse 1. So the words that he has spoken of himself, of how he's fulfilled the law and the prophets, it's pointing them to the true life that they can find in the vine, to rest in him. That they are clean and ready to bear fruit as the Father continues to work on them. And so he calls them in verse 4, to abide in me and I in you. This is the center of what Jesus is saying. To abide. To rest, to remain, to endure. We see the only way for a branch to bear fruit is by abiding in the vine. There is no other way for this branch to get life unless it's abiding in the vine, the source of life. But what fully does Jesus mean when he says abide? As we kind of talked about before, it's this deep and close union with Jesus. A vine and its branches connected together. The word abide in Greek is meno. It's to remain, to stay, to endure, and to continue. So it's not just this one-time thing. It's not just, okay, I'm going to abide in Christ and I'm good to go, that's it. It's continuing to abide and continuing to abide and continuing to abide each and every day, coming to Christ, resting in him, knowing that he will provide and give the life that we need. We're coming to Christ. Another way to to think about it is the word like marinating, like a good steak, if you guys like steak. With a good steak, you don't just put it in the marinade and then take it right out again. That wouldn't do much for it. To abide is to rest and remain, to stay, to allow it to marinate, to gain the flavoring and spice. It rests, it endures, it stays. To abide is resting in in Christ and who he is in his word, that he is the word of God, that he fulfills the word. It reminds me of Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30, as he calls us to himself. In verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He calls us to come to him and not to do a whole bunch of work, but to rest. To know that there is still 
work to be done as there is a yoke, but his yoke is light. And he is gentle and he's lowly. If you haven't read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland, I would encourage you to find a copy of it and begin reading it. I'm going through it again for a second time because it's just so rich as it points to the heart of Christ and what he actually calls us to. This gives us the heart and picture of Jesus' call to abide. And more accurately, not what we're resting in, but who we're resting in. We're resting in Christ. We're resting in Jesus. We're abiding not in a set of rules and practices. We're not abiding in a bunch of belief systems and doctrines, nor even a church, which are, all these are important aspects of a Christian's life and a Christian's walk. But ultimately, Jesus calls us to come to him, to rest in him. It's a relationship with our God, our Lord and Savior. It's saying, I can't do this on my own. A branch cannot live and bear fruit on its own if it's apart from the vine. And so with us, we cannot have true life apart from the vine. We're resting in Christ and what he has done when he came to earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. He came as flesh as we heard in our family worship time, that he was 100% human, but he was 100% God, for only God can live a perfect life, sinless life. And he died in our place. He bore God's wrath and judgment upon himself that we would be saved, that we'd be forgiven, that we could find true life in him. That the job is done and finished, and we are called simply to abide in him, to rest in him. There's a change that should occur. We're not a dying branch, we are a new branch. Our love and our worship is reoriented. It's focused on Christ and no longer ourselves and our sinfulness and our selfishness. Our identity is now in Christ and not the things that we do or who we are. The Spirit's now indwelling in us and working in us the fruits of the Spirit that we would go and bear these fruits and make much of our God as we point to what he has done for us. God would be in us and that we would bear much fruit. The Trinity God making home within us as Pastor Nate touched upon last week in John 14, verse 23. And so as we abide in him, he will abide in us. He will be in us. He'll continue to work in us. This isn't something we're doing on our own. It's reflective of what he said to his disciples. His words had made them clean and able to bear fruit. The word of God dwells within his disciples. The person, the teaching, the words of Jesus are within his followers. He's not far off. He's near. He's very near. It's this deep and connected relationship that he has with his people. And so he says, those that will abide will bear fruit. But what is this fruit? What does this fruit look like? We'll see that the fruit is a result of abiding. And it's abiding in who Jesus is. And it comes out in our prayer and glory to God. The fruit is not Christ-like action and behavior alone. It's not just repentance alone. It's not just worship alone. It's not just new people coming to Christ, but it's all of these things together. 
It's the fruits of the Spirit. It's the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that we see in Galatians 5. It's a culmination of all of these things, of Christ-like character, of repentance, of a change of worship. And it's fruit that people see and it points us to the vine that produces that fruit. It's an outpouring of God honoring worship in the daily life of his followers. As Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not that you're completely incapable of doing anything, but nothing as in there's no spiritual fruit. There's no glorifying God on your own. It's good for nothing. It's dead. It's empty of God-honoring character. But it's through the grace of God that we can actually bear fruit that is honoring to him, that is actually glorifying to him, which is a crazy concept to think that sinners like us can actually bring glory to God in the way that we love and obey him. But we must be connected to Christ. And so in verse 6, as we continue on in John 15, it says, We have heard already that branches don't bear fruit, and they are removed. And so Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. They don't bear fruit because they're not actually abiding in the vine. This is hard because sometimes they look like they are. The reality of their destination isn't sugar-coated in any way either. They're thrown away, they wither, they're dead in their sins, they're resting in their own work and not Christ's. And what awaits those who aren't abiding is hell, separated from God's holy love and mercy and grace and peace and joy and hope and true relationship with him, and instead God's righteous wrath and judgment upon them for their sins forever. This is a warning to not take lightly. To be Jesus' disciple is to abide in him. And sometimes we can make excuses for ourselves, saying that we're abiding, saying that we're resting, when we really aren't. Jesus calls us to abide for it's the only way to life, and yet we try so hard to get life in many other ways. The sad reality is many professing Christians in every church are only outward and formal, and it's not an internal change that has actually happened in their lives. Being around Christ does not mean you are actually in Christ. There are many who look like they're connected to Christ, but they aren't bearing fruit at all. Judas is a perfect example of this. He spent three years walking and learning from Christ. And yet he was never truly cleansed and pruned and did not bear fruit. He was ultimately centered on selfish desires and gain, not out of love for Jesus and obedience to him. Throughout even the book of John, we see people who are said to believe in what Jesus had said, but then later walked away from him. When things got tough, when he said that there will be suffering, that there will be hardship, that people will come against you because of me. 
It's a sad reality, but it's a true reality of what it truly means to abide, to actually be in Christ, to rest in him. It's a perseverance, and it's a transformed life in Christ. There's a perfect picture of that in Matthew 13 with the parable of the sower and the seeds. The seeds were planted in some cases, but they grew and they did not take root or they were choked or the seeds were simply just taken and eaten. But the one who truly is rooted in Christ, who's truly resting in him, will grow in Christ and will bear fruit and will bear more fruit and will continue to grow and continue to persevere even through hardship because they are resting and abiding in the true life, the vine. That is Jesus. And so just because we go to church, it doesn't mean we're in Christ. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean that you're abiding in Christ. Just because you said a prayer as a kid doesn't mean you're being saved. It's not just a one-time thing. Just because your parents or grandparents are Christians doesn't make you one by association. Maybe you read a lot of theological books and you know a lot about the Bible, but it doesn't mean you're abiding in Christ. Maybe you listen to a lot of Christian music. Maybe you even share Christ-like morals and how you live. It doesn't mean that you're abiding in Christ. If not truly abiding in Jesus, these things are filthy rags to God. They're nothing. Because the heart was not truly changed. It was not new. It was not seeking after God. It was not resting in Jesus, the Redeemer and the Perfect of our lives. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. It doesn't mean that we are perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't sin when we're actually resting in Christ. But how do we deal with sin in us? Do we hide it? Do we run from Christ? Or do we go to him? Are we like Peter and come in tears, saying that we love Christ? To forgive us of our sins. Are we made new and our worship gaze centered on God and not ourselves? If there's not grace and faith and inward work of the Holy Spirit, there is not salvation and a new creation. True union with Christ and sharing in the spiritual blessings of sonship as God's child. The union isn't just a nominal thing. It is a true abiding in who Jesus is and not in ourselves. So Jesus fulfills that in his word and who he is and the teachings and the Holy Scriptures in which he fulfills everything from the law and the prophets. And he's abiding in us because we're abiding in him. And he works these things out in us and continues to grow us that we would bear fruit and bring glory to our God. That we'd pray according to Jesus' words. And so when he calls us to pray, when he calls us to ask these things of whatever we wish in verse 7, that God will give this to us, that God will do this for us. It's not coming out of a selfish heart, it's not coming out of a selfish desire, but it's coming out of the words of Christ in us as we're abiding in him. Christ's desires and Christ's will will be our desires and our will as we come to him in prayer, as we reflect upon what he's said to us in his word, as what he's called us to as his disciples. It's a question to ask yourself is, is your prayer God-centered or is it self-centered? 
Are you coming to him asking him for what you want or for what he has called you to? Are you asking for strength to obey him? Are you asking to have strength to just do what you want? Are your desires flowing from the person and the words of Jesus or from your own sinful heart? Through these prayers, through asking these things, God is glorified because it shows his work in us as he bears fruit in us. That we would prove to be his disciples. The fruit is the proof of whose we are. And so are we bearing this fruit? Jesus has started with our relationship with him, to abide in him and his love. In the same way that the Father has loved him, so he has loved us. And to abide in his love, to abide in that relationship, to be with him as he is with the Father. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus' relationship with the Father and then Jesus' relationship with us. This is what he's calling us to, is to rest in this love that the Father has shown Jesus. And out of that, Jesus obeys and follows the Father and shows his love to him. And so we too are called to show this love, to rest in this love that Jesus has called us to. Out of that abiding love, we obey. It's not a question of should we obey, do we obey. We will obey. If you are Christ, you will obey and you will walk in his love. God's love for us is the same love that he shares in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we rest and abide in his love, graciously causing us to love him, to change our desires in our hearts, to come to him, it's this beautiful cycle of love worked out by the grace of God. It's a gift. It's beautiful. And I pray, I, I feel sometimes that we take it lightly and I pray that we don't. Just as Jesus loved and out of that obeyed, we too follow his example. And can do so by abiding, the daily ongoing resting and persevering in Jesus' love. And all of this is so that they would have joy. In verse 11, these things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's not just our own joy, but Jesus' joy in us. Jesus' joy that was founded on his eternal relationship with his Father, his joy as he did the will of God, his joy as he even unto death went to the cross and suffered in anguish, joyfully willing to save those whom the Father has called unto himself. To his defeat of sin and death, to his resurrection and now glorified at the right hand of God, Jesus found great joy in this. It's hard to have joy. It's hard to have joy in this life when things are tough. But this joy that we have isn't founded in ourselves, but founded in Christ and his joy in us. And if Jesus had joy when he went to the cross and died for our sins, I pray that we too can live in that joy as his people. That there'd be something different about us when we face realities in our life, the hardships and the struggles. 
that we would endure with joy. And I feel our joy is often taken or often not felt because our gaze is taken off of the one who gives joy, the one in whose joy we share. Let us have our eyes and hearts set on Christ that we'd serve and love and obey him with joy. Psalm 16, verses 8 to 9 says this, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A true sign of those who follow Christ is joy. And I have struggled with this because I'm not necessarily a joyful person. But I pray I can be. I pray that as I reflect upon this and what Christ has done, as I abide in Christ, that I would actually feel this joy. And I pray that for you as well, that we would be a people of joy because the world would see something different in us. Because I feel like our world is joyless. And I pray that we point that, that place of joy being in Christ and not in ourselves, and not in our circumstances. I pray that we would have that eternal joy and happiness that Christ has. And out of that joy that we would serve Him, that we would obey Him as He has served the Father. And so in verse 12 to 17, Jesus calls us to obey. And that obeying is truly loving and showing a sacrificial love that he has shown us. This is my commandment, that you have love and you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. It's a selfless love. It's a love not about us and what we get out of it, but simply serving and loving others as Christ has loved us. We don't see this heavy burden of commands given by Jesus. Again, thinking about Matthew 11. Jesus has already accomplished what we need on the cross. But he calls us to obey out of that love that he's shown us, out of that sacrificial love that he has shown us on the cross. When he showed that love for enemies of him, for sinful humanity, yet sees them as friends, and sharing the cross that none whom that the Father has given him would be lost. Loving is sacrificial. It's the greatest way to show our love for one another. But why do we find it so difficult to sacrifice when we look at Christ and see what he has sacrificed for us on the cross to save sinners like us? I pray that us as a church would be one of sacrificial love to one another. Like Christ showed that same love. That we truly be friends. Let us not pass too quickly from this incredible deep and personal statement of Jesus. He extends friendship to all those who are obedient disciples, to those who are abiding and remaining in the vine who show that love that he has shown. 
the creator of the universe calling us friends, no longer servants. Not that we do not serve and submit to him, but we are friends. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He's about to go to the cross and die for his friends and all those who abide in him with faith by the power of his grace. The obedience comes out of that love from truly abiding. His words in us, working through us, a true disciple will obey. A true friend will love. And we are his friends because he's made known to us through his word, through who he is, of what the Father has told him, what he has heard from the Father. He's made it known to us the great joy and freedom that we have in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And so may we go and be obedient to what Christ has called us to, to bear that fruit as we abide. Whatever we ask in the Father's name, he may give it to us as we rest in Christ's words in us. That we would love one another It's good for us to reflect, though, upon all this, that we did not choose Jesus, but that he chose us. We see that in verse 16. He says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So if you look at Romans 3, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. We don't seek after God in our sinfulness, but God seeks us and shows us and calls us out of our sinfulness and calls us to come and to rest and to abide in him. It's by God's grace how he's always moved first and was always working first, changing our desires and hearts, opening our eyes to receive the gift of grace found in Jesus. He calls us to abide, not to flaunt our wisdom or ability to come to him, for we can't in our sinfulness. We simply abide in the Savior who always moved first and calls us to follow in his words to obey and love, bringing glory to the Father. In all this, Jesus really breaks away the possibility for anyone to boast in themselves, to claim that they earn their way for our choosing, our calling, our saving, our abiding, continuing to abide and love and obey and bearing fruit they're all works of God's grace in our life. It transforms us from servanthood into friendship. It can free us to obey Jesus out of friendship and worship and no longer out of fear and self-interest. So I pray that we as a church, as we look at this, would abide in Jesus, that we would bear fruit for God, joyfully bringing glory to our Heavenly Father, proving to be His disciples. That is what Jesus is calling us to. So may we abide in Jesus' words. May we be reading our Bibles. May we be in God's Word daily to be reminded of what He has called us to, of who He is, of the hope and joy that we find in Him. And may out of that we pray according to God's will and what He calls us to. To abide is to abide in Jesus' words. 
If you aren't already, get connected into a church. Join a discipleship group or a community group. We have those happening in our churches right now. It's amazing to see the growth that is coming out of that as we come around God's word together to remind each other of what we're resting in. Abide is to abide in Jesus' love, to rest in his love, to love him, to show his love as he has loved us, to surround yourself with Christ-like people and to show and serve. To abide is to abide in the pruning process of the Father. The Father is good and faithful, and he disciplines those he's loved. We are to endure faithfully and persevere as he cuts away the sin in our life and continues to help us as we grow in sanctification through the Spirit's work in us. That we would bear fruit and bear more fruit. And so abiding is in fruit-bearing obedience. To abide in Christ is to bear fruit. We walk in the Spirit as he leads us in holiness. We come in repentance as we reflect upon our sins. We seek forgiveness in Christ and Christ alone and not what we do. We show the fruits of the Spirit as he continues to work in us. And we show the sacrificial love that Christ showed us to one another. May we be a church that serves one another in the sacrificial love as we abide in the love of Christ. Let us pray. Father, you call us to abide. Through Jesus' words here in John 15, to abide in Christ as he abides in us. God, I pray that we as a church would be a people who abide in you, who are resting in your words, who pray out of that. God, that it be glorifying to you that we would bear fruit, to be resting in your love and showing that love to one another, that we know that life does not come from our own works, but God, from you and through your grace and through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. God, through his resurrection, that we'd find new life in him. God, may we abide in the service to one another, in our love to one another. May we make the time, God, to show your love, even if it's an inconvenience to us. God, if a brother or sister reaches out, may we go in sacrificial love and serving as you have served us. God, that we would continue to bear fruit as you work in us. God, may you be glorified. God, may you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.